0: Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond.
1: A surprisingly strong jobs report, cheered by President Biden, yet dismissed by Republicans. What they tell us in the latest on an ambitious economic package now heading toward becoming law. NTD's Iris Tao has more.
2: More than 500,000 jobs added in July, a number well-surpassing expectations. And President Biden, while still positive with COVID, hailing Friday's job report at the White House's outdoor balcony.
0: Today, there are more people working in America than before the pandemic began.
2: And Republican Senator John Barrasso tells NTD, while job
0: numbers are up, Families, they are having a harder and harder time keeping up. Because even if they're working, even if they got a bit of a raise, the raise has not kept up with the cost of inflation.
2: With others adding...
0: I'm very pleased that we've got strong job growth, but we're in a recession.
2: The debate over the state of the economy comes as Democrats are making headway on passing a massive economic package.
0: This is a very, very, very big deal.
2: The bill will invest about $400 billion in fighting climate change and lowering drug prices. And now with Senator Kirsten Sinema's backing, it can pass without any Republican votes. Here's President Biden speaking on it today.
0: We're going to save American families hundreds of dollars a year on paying their energy bills by allowing them to have money to invest, by getting, allowing them to put in new windows and doors and solar panels and the like, and get tax credits for that.
2: But Republicans are slamming it as Democrats.
0: Climate slush funds
2: adding that a 15% minimum corporate tax included in the package would hurt the economy. We're raising gas taxes in the name of lowering inflation. And Republican senators tell us they'll be doing everything to defeat this bill on top of offering a lot of amendments.
0: Energy, inflation, the border, and crime expect to see amendments on all of those things.
2: Meanwhile, Schumer says he hopes the Senate could begin voting on it this Saturday, and the House, which is narrowly controlled by Democrats, could potentially pass it next week. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News.
1: To break down the Democrats' budget bill, we're happy to hear from someone with ample experience in government spending. Bill Hoagland is currently the senior vice president at the Bipartisan Policy Center. And he previously worked in the Senate as the director of budget and appropriations in the office of Senate Majority Leader Bill Frist. All right, Bill, thank you for joining us today.
0: Good to be with you.
1: So you've spent a number of years analyzing the fiscal impact of major legislation. Based on your years of experience in this area, I'd like to ask you about the uniqueness of this budget bill that Democrats are getting ready to pass. They're calling it the Inflation Reduction Act. Have we ever seen anything like this before?
0: I don't think we've ever seen anything that's called Inflation Reduction Act. We've seen many budget reconciliation bills that were designed for deficit reduction. And to that extent, there is deficit reduction in this particular package, and that's what makes it similar to – Previous reconciliation bills, but this is a unique bill, and I think it does have some uh, positive. Eff- will have some positive effects, uh, particularly as it relates to climate, and uh, particularly as it relates to providing um, medical assistance in terms of per- reduction in pers- prescription drug benefits, cost, and expansion of benefits for those who are on the Affordable Care Act.
1: Mm. Now, when you mentioned the deficit reduction piece of it, and I want to dive into this just a little bit, um, so it. it From my understanding, it would only reach the intended goal of deficit reduction if they're able to rake in the $700 billion worth of revenue uh, that they're aiming through that they're aiming for through closing those tax loopholes, et cetera. Um, But it seems like a hypothetical here. Is there a way that they can actually guarantee they'll be able to generate upwards of $700 billion worth of revenue to uh, lower the deficit? Well, it's uh,
0: beyond me to be question whether the Joint Committee on Taxation, who makes these estimates, is wrong, right or wrong, uh, but I believe, they, I believe it's clear that the indications are that they are raising revenues through the various tax uh, loophole closers that are involved in this particular proposal uh, as it relates to the modifications on the minimum tax that, uh, that has been agreed to, I guess, last evening uh, uh, going forward. There are benefits, there are reductions that are being estimated uh, for deficit reduction associated with uh, limitations on, on for, for renegotiating drug prices. Um, uh, I think one of the bigger pieces, though, that you didn't mention is the fact that the assumption is that if we expand, uh, I think it's about $75 billion to the Internal Revenue Service, that that's going to generate well over $200 billion in additional Revenues, we have no way of knowing exactly whether the, all this is going to come to pass. if they are estimates, uh, but they are at least this at least the sign, if you if you like, the sign on the numbers is the correct sign. It's negative in terms of reduction in the deficit.
1: Hmm. Okay, Bill, and lastly, I want to just talk with you about the latest job numbers. So the job game for July was double what economists had expected. What are some of your takeaways from this?
0: It's a, certainly that the economy is still growing. It's still growing rapidly, and I certainly will indicate to me that uh, the the Federal Reserve is uh, Mr. Powell is on the right path of continuing to increase uh, uh, the interest rates. I think we'll find the impact of those increases in interest rates to be have an impact later on down the road here. Uh, I think there's a tremendous demand out there. Uh, and still of job openings too, as we also had a report the day before yesterday of what there was something like a, about two job openings for every one person unemployed. So there's a lot of demand still in the economy. And uh, I think that, that we will see this to continue to grow.
1: Now, I wanna actually ask you about how this pairs, this job growth pairs with what the administration was warning us back when, um, you know, I guess a couple of months ago, they were saying that we should expect to see job growth Slowing as the Federal Reserve hikes interest rates in a bid to uh, tame inflation. I'm just wondering, um, how does this? How do these two things pair? How? Are, why are we seeing stronger job growth when we were previously warned that we would see slower
0: well, job growth? I think. Remember, this was a uh, this was the job growth for the, for, uh, for July. Uh, the interest rate impact uh, impacts the increases were from the Federal Reserve were late July. I think it a time lag here. We will see a slowing of the economy clearly with the uh, raising of the interest rates that the, the Federal Reserve is doing. It's just a time lag here, and I'm not surprised that uh, the month of July we had an increase in, um, in employment. Uh, but those were all those employment numbers took took place well before uh, the last uh, increase, the 75 basis point increase at the end of July. So this this is they're not they're not sequenced exactly, and I do believe that we'll start to see the impact of that in terms of slowing job growth and going forward.
1: Okay, Bill, thank you so much for your time. It's great to have your insight.
0: Thank you. See you later. Bye.
1: Public schools across the nation continue to push gender transition ideology, some even allowing young students to take steps towards changing their biological genders, even without parents' consent or their basic knowledge of what's going on with their child. This phenomenon creates a wedge between parents and their children, and teachers are also required to follow these policies, even if it conflicts with their moral beliefs. But one attorney explains to us there are legal protections for parents, teachers, and kids. Tyson Langhofer successfully won a case protecting teachers' rights in Loudoun County. Here's our discussion. So we're here with Tyson Lankoffer, who is the director of Center for Academic Freedom. Thank you for joining us.
3: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Of course. Now I want to talk to you about the K-12 through education system. So you were saying you are working on the constitution- protecting constitutional rights for the parents, especially we're seeing the idea of transgenderism and not uh, students being able to transition themselves while at school and keeping that information from the parents. Can you just explain a little bit about the work you're doing with the K-12 uh, 12 organizations?
3: Sure. You know, over the last couple of years, we've seen an explosion of policies uh, adopted by schools which say that if a student asks a teacher to refer to them by a new name or a new pronoun, they are to immediately do that. And not only immediately do it, but they are to hide that information from the parents unless the students specifically grant permission to tell them. And so teachers are being told that they must use the legal name and pronoun for the student when talking to the parent but they must use the preferred name and pronoun uh, when at school. And so they're deceiving the parents. And what's, un- what's really unfortunate is most of these children also have other comorbid disorders like uh, anxiety and depression and other things that they're going through, and their parents aren't being told about it, and they they have no ability uh, to help them. And you know these schools are really, uh, they're speaking out of both sides of their mouth because they'll have a policy that says parents are full partners in education, and then they'll hide this really important information from them, and they'll force teachers to lie to them. And so we've challenged uh, these policies across the country. We just won a lawsuit in Kansas, rural Kansas, where I'm from, uh, had a policy that, that forced teachers to lie to parents. And they suspended a teacher for referring to a student by their last name of the student, legal last name, uh, but wanted them to lie to the, to the parents. And we had to file a lawsuit to challenge that policy. And a federal judge enjoined the policy and said, no, you cannot lie to parents. Parents have a right to know if their child, is how their child is being referred to at school.
1: You know okay so I want to ask you about how what, uh, how does this actually manifest in the legal realm of things, what legal precedent is there to protect parents and students from this trend that we're seeing? I know you were saying that there's nothing directly written in the Constitution, but, the, but there's many precedent or rulings that have come out of the Supreme Court. Can you explain a little bit to our audience about that?
3: Sure. Yeah. When you're dealing with this, we, have, we kind of bring this from multiple angles. One is the teacher's rights angle because they're being forced to speak messages they disagree with. They're being forced to refer to a boy as a girl. They're being forced to lie to parents. So that would be a First Amendment claim on behalf of the teacher, uh, and that violates their rights under the policy. But parents have the right to direct the upbringing of their children. That's a long-held precedent established by the the United States Supreme Court in multiple different angles, um, saying that, look, the primary person, the primary individuals in our society that are to make decisions regarding minor children are their parents. And that's a vast, big, broad right. And it's being um, infringed upon when you have schools that are attempting to force children children to participate in things that that the parents would disagree with, and they're hiding that information from them. And that's a substantive right under the 14th Amendment, uh, the the, the right to liberty and the right to direct the upbringing of your children.
1: You know, it's interesting to me, the fact that this can be so widespread, even considering that the Supreme Court has ruled in this way, there is precedent to protect these rights, but yet this situation is still so widespread. Is it because the parents are not stepping up to the plate, or or is it because there's a, a, a fear, do you think? Why why did it become so widespread? Why are people not...
3: Yeah, you know, what I what I find is, I think that is there's a... there One, there's a lot of outside pressure from outside advocacy organizations which are coming in and telling schools that if you don't adopt this policy, you're gonna get sued or you're gonna lose federal funds. That's one, that is, that's how you get in rural Kansas, you know, where you would think that it's more conservative, um, this type of policy. So you have these outside organizations pouring millions of dollars into school boards across the country trying to get them to adopt bad policies. The second thing is the parents have been kind of asleep at the wheel. We haven't done our job, but what we're finding is that we're waking up. And the good news is I live in Loudoun County. Loudoun County has been the epicenter of that. And we've seen that the parents have risen up and, and they, they came to the defense of Tanner Cross after he was suspended for speaking out at a board uh, meeting, and we got him reinstated. And what we found is that galvanized these parents, and that changed the election. We saw, you know, a sweep of the statewide races from the governor to the lieutenant governor and the AG, all because of parental rights. And so that should encourage us. Yes, there's problems, but we can solve those problems at the local level if we're just willing to get involved. So I would encourage all parents, know what's going on at school, get involved, and speak up. If you don't agree, speak up up. And then if you can't get a good ruling, uh, you know, run for the school board. Our children are worth it. They're the next generation. We need to protect these freedoms for them if we want them to have the same freedoms we had ourselves. Thank you so
1: much for your time. Tyson. Thank you.
0: I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.